Hello and welcome once again to the How Long to Beat podcast. Uh, I'm Rick, joined as always by Alex. Hey. And Paolo. Hey. I'm so glad that you both went along with that because that's not something we've ever done. Um, <laughs> this week, as as of the time of recording, I've just had COVID jab number two. Bill says to tell you everything's fine. It's all good. Please go and get it. This week, we're going to talk about what we've beaten, by which I mean what Alex has beaten. We're not going to talk about what we've retired because we haven't. We're going to get on to what we've been playing this week. And hopefully my lovely co-host have played more than me because I've not played very much. Um, and then we're going to get on to a, an unusual topic, food, food in games. What is food? How food be? And then I'd like to think this week we'll have time for a, a community question. And we'll finish off, as we always, with the one and only... How, How long, long to, be to beat the, the game. game? The game. Nice. Wonderful stuff. Rightio, Alex. Yeah. All right. There's no one else to go to at this point, really, is there? Yeah, I know. I'm the only one who's beaten. <laughs> so you were right, Rick, last week when you mentioned that I'd probably have Wasteland 3 beaten by the next time we played because I have indeed completed Wasteland 3. And oh, this game's great. Like, this is a solid, like, 9 out of 10 for me, you know? Like, like the, the only reason I didn't, wouldn't give it, like, a maybe, like, a perfect 10 is, like, it's just, like, there are a few little bugs here and there. They're not, they don't like, they're not like perf- like performance ruining or anything. It's just like little things once in a while where you're like, oh, that, that was like slightly jarring. Um, bugs would survive the wasteland though. Like cockroaches are hardy little fuckers. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> since it comes from the original Fallout devs and considering the state of Fallout, it sort of makes sense that there's a few bugs. That just seems to be how these Eight. series work. <laughs> um, but this game was fantastic. Like I did, I did everything in this game. Um, now, like everything in a playthrough, right? Like all the side missions on all quest stuff, because there are multiple ways that the game can end. Um, and I got what is traditionally seen as the good ending. And I agree that I think it is like, uh, there's no ending that doesn't have like caveats to it, but that's also because like in this world, there's no like, there's no way to get for something to just be perfect. Right? Like you can't, unite the entire wasteland under like you know what i mean like it's like like, there are people with competing views on how things should happen in this world and in colorado and like you have to manage your expectations with that and decide like what are your priorities so ultimately i decided my priorities like the game the way the game starts like it's the very beginning it's an awesome opening is like you're coming from arizona uh, because that's where the other two games i believe were set and that's where like the rangers first come from is arizona and you're coming to colorado to get the help of the patriarch who's like this guy who's basically kind of like the ruling kind of king essentially the patriarch of colorado and he's offering help to the arizona uh, rangers and when you arrive you get like ambushed right away not by the patriarch but by like these other dudes called the dorseys and it's a it's an awesome start to a game like when i remember when i first started i was like holy shit this is pretty cool um and so like everyone's basically just wiped out and so you have to decide like who are you going to work for are you going to sow chaos in colorado or are you going to stick to your mission to help with the Rangers back home. And so like, I decided to stick to my mission uh, and I'm glad I did because it is a really good ending. <laughs> and I'm also glad. So like, I, I probably did this a little backwards or like, I, I probably should have just waited one more month because like the Colorado collection is coming out on October like 5th, which is like all of the DLC along with some new DLC. Um, and it's on game pass, but like this was also on game pass, but I was like, that's fine. Cause like really, it, it added other DLC, like, you know, different weapons and stuff. But, like, 
I might be a little weird where like I actually don't like when games have these like special DLC weapons that much because they always feel like slightly game breaky if they're not like actual expansions. You know what I mean? Like I'm throws the balance off. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Like I like to just sort of play the game as it was intended and go that way. <laughs> And so that's kind of what I did. And, but I, I, what I'm hoping is that when that Colorado collection comes out and you've got the like, um, cause like the battle of steel town is the one that's out right now. Um, and that one's not on game pass yet, but I believe in the Colorado collection, it will be, I'm hoping that I'll be able to just transfer my save over and like, you know, play that way. Um, and then there's a new, I was going to see that DLC is all post game then. Yeah. It's all post game. Well, I don't know if the Battle for Steel Town is necessarily like you might be able to play partway through. I actually, I think both of them you can play post game. Like that is the thing. But if you play the game normally, I think they show up at certain points, um, right, for you to do it. Yeah. But I, I wanted to basically, I was like, I kind of want to beat this game a bit before it comes out, so that when I then go to play it, it's like a nice treat. You know what I mean? Because like I actually felt like the game was perfectly paced and had the exact right amount like when i came to the end of it i was like yeah i'm ready to be done you know what i mean like and not like in a bad way i was just like yep i've done everything i've got wicked armor i've like maxed out my team pretty much to the point that i want them to be i feel good about this i don't really want to go and you know do a whole bunch more stuff right like at that point it would maybe feel like kind of like too much extra so yeah really beautifully paced and i'm really looking forward though to digging into those two dlc things i think the new wasteland dlc the next one coming out, Cult of the Holy Detonation, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's a group who are obsessed with, because like, remember, there was like, you know, fucking nuclear apocalypse that hit down. They'll go out wearing Yeezys. I, uh, I get, I get this sort of the idea. In the spirit of this show, how long did it take you to beat the game? Because you said it was the perfect 40 night. hours. And that's okay. doing everything. Like that was doing all yeah. the side quests. And I was taking my time. Like I, that wasn't even me like, you know, bum rushing through it. I'm sure you could cut like a solid 10 hours out of that if you were, just going like through the main story. But honestly, the thing is like, they've really set it up well where like the side missions, look, half of the side missions feel like main missions. Like I honestly Hmm. felt like the side mission versus main mission distinction was almost meaningless. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there was, there were some that, yeah, there were definitely side missions where you're just kind of doing a little thing, but like most of them were like addendums to the main mission, right? It was like, Hey, you could go do this, which is actually going to make your main mission a lot easier for you. Or you could try and be a dumbass and go through the main mission. You're probably going to get a worse outcome, but you can do it if you want, right? Like they're giving you that choice which I really appreciated. In fact, like one of the last missions, you basically unlock like two or three side missions as you're doing the last mission um, that allow you to like undermine this person you're going after. And it's really cool. Like, it's just like, I don't know, it just feels fun and like you feel smart and you feel like you're just having a good time and you're like, you're playing like politics in this world. Um, Of course, though, most of the politics means go kill everybody. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, it is, it is, a real-time strategy game, right? So, <laughs> but it's really great. See, this is why I'm actually excited for the Cult of the Holy Detonation because apparently they're switching things up. Like, usually the Wasteland 3 um, gameplay kind of loop is like go in, you enter into combat, eliminate everyone, combat ends. But in the DLC, they're actually switching it up so that you have different objectives within it so that sometimes actually eliminating everyone is not your goal and or might be nearly impossible to eliminate everyone. So like you actually have to go do this thing. And so it's like, I'm really excited for that because it sounds like they're going to play even more with, with the world that they've created. So yeah, I don't know. I I really, really liked this game. It's not super strong in its character front, I'll say. And, and that... Like, like it is and it isn't because realistically you create like two, um, two 
two heroes at the beginning, right? That's how you start the game. And I picked the two characters, uh, Yuri and Spence, which I highly recommend these two characters if you're starting. You can create your own, but like if you've never played a Wasteland game or even like just kind of games like this, don't try to make your own, right? Like it's like, it's way better. The team has made it so that they're like, these are good. These are good to start with. You'll have fun with these. And it's very true. But like, there's a lot of ways to customize things. And like in general in the game, like what I ended up having was I had a guy who was like, my main guy was good with automatic weapons. He was really good. He had like a hard ass skill so he could do like, you know, checks and whatnot. Um, And he had some other skill. Like basically each of my rangers had about three skills out of the like, you know, 16 or so skills that exist. Sometimes four, depends. And like, so I'd have like that. I had a healer who was also like a brawler, like fisticuffs, which is a really fun combination. Um, And then I had like this guy who had like basically a flamethrower and an MG and could like hack computers and like fix uh, and like hack um, robots and shit. And then you have like, what is it? A sniper? Because, you know, gotta have a fucking sniper. Had a sneaky dude. You know, he's all sneaky and shit. (laughs) And he uses SMGs. And then who else did I have? Oh, yeah. And I had like a lady who was just like really good with her pistols. Um, so it's like you you find all of these like different combinations and like they end up becoming really valuable to you. Right. In varied uh, ways. And so I really liked that where it's like it's like, yeah, build a team. And there are different ways that you can build the team. There are different things that you can do. Um, but yeah, it's a fucking kick ass game, man. It's just a really fucking kick ass game. And it was I played it free on Game Pass. Like, I was like, holy shit, I feel like I'm cheating. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, i like, actually kind of curious to try Wasteland 2. I don't think I'm going to go back to Wasteland 1 because I hear it's, like, it's pretty tough. Um, but, like, I'm, like, a little intrigued about Wasteland 2. At the same time, though, I feel like Wasteland 3 might be just such a, like, devs, like, kind of perfecting their... what, what they're doing that I'm, like, I don't think I even want to go back. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, like, I just love this. And I have to say, it makes Am me... Am I remember... Sorry, go on. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go on, go on, go on, go on. I was going to say, it makes me extremely excited for Exile's next game because I know they're working on like a whole new RPG right now that I think is actually outside of the Wasteland kind of universe. And I don't know, seeing the, what they're able to do with this, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. Sorry, what were you going to say? Am I remembering rightly that Wasteland 1 is like the OG from 20, 30 years ago? Wasteland 2 was a Kickstarter game and then Wasteland 3 was sort of made off the back of the success of Wasteland 2. Am I remembering that roughly roughly right? See, I think Wasteland 3 also was kickstarted. Or no, it was on Fig. It was on Fig. What's that? Is that like a Kickstarter? That's how Psychonauts 2 got started as well. I don't know. Oh, that's like an investment platform if it's the same one. It's a weird one. Like you you have some kind of ownership within the game somehow. Yeah, basically. Because I know they had a backer thing on it as well like i remember seeing wasteland um uh like when i was rolling the credits there was like the normal credits and then there was the backer credits like they had to do all the separate credits because there's so many backers um yeah fig, fig specifically is a, a a game making investment thing so its tagline is investing in games with fig game shares but wasteland 2 was on kickstarter I, um, yeah i remember that being one of like the the glut of the kickstarters that happened and one of the most successful ones yeah yeah absolutely yeah, because Wasteland 1 was 1988, right? So, yeah, and then they they went and remastered it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But, like, it's just, I don't know, it's so good. Like, it, it feels like you're, when you play it, like you're watching an alternative development path for the Fallout series, you know? Like, it's like if Fallout series had sticked closer to its roots, this is what it would be. And it's so cool that we have both of these, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, it's so nice that these, like, both exist, even if I'm extremely depressed about the state of Fallout. But it is fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> keep trying to get me into Fallout 76, and I was like, I would rather shoot off my left foot. Um, so, <laughs> are you not intrigued about four times the world map, sixteen uh, times the detail? How do you make something that people? You know, it's like that thing where everyone's like, "Oh man, like I want," but you know, it's not even true because Elder Scrolls Online is great, right? Everyone was like, "I want Elder Scrolls," but honestly, Fallout to me never seemed like a game that was meant to be played with. Like, you know what I mean? Anyway, I don't want to get into this, but like, like Elder Scrolls ah. isn't about crazy choices, right? Elder Scrolls is about like a fun adventure, whereas Fallout is about like managing factions and like choices and like, you know what I mean? It's like that doesn't translate great to an online game, right? Like it makes sense in Elder Scrolls, but I don't know. There is a way that it could have worked. I can envision a path when it yeah. could have worked. And um, if anyone wants to sort of deep cut and see me proven right by history, uh, we talked about this very briefly back in season one of the podcast. And I said on the record, uh, anyone who thinks adding netcode to the boogie mess that is Bethesda RPGs will make a better game is off their rocker. And uh, I'm sad that I was proved right, but I absolutely was. Yeah. Um, no, and sense. speaking of, of off their rocker, shall we um, move on to what we're currently playing? Yeah. Um, and take, take a dive into... In fact, let's not oh, take wait, a dive before into I Breath leave, of the Wild. Though, of... I do want to say one on. thing about Wasteland 3. Invest in your animal whisperer skill because there is an animal you can get near the very end of the game that was a very popular animal on the internet circa like mid-2000s. <laughs> and that's all I'll say on that part. A cat? No, not a cat. <laughs> Something else entirely. Um, it's related to okay. snakes and other things. But anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> I, I was going to say let, let's go to the the off the rocker adventures of, of Paolo and Breath of the Wild, but it's not on your playing tab. Are you okay, Paolo? What's going on? Oh yeah, it's just that there wasn't like really anything like not worthy about my playthrough on Breath of the Wild right now because well I was running in homework, so usually when I play Breath of the Wild, I don't just do a couple of things. I usually lose myself in the game for a couple of hours. There's playing and there's playing. There's playing and there's playing. Like all the things I did were pretty much like item management, sell stuff uh, for rupees, and oh, and pretty much like cook stuff for my adventure, for showing. But yeah, um, hopefully I can jump back into Breath of the Well and go back to collecting all those correct seeds um, soon-ish. Corrupting. Um, even by my standards, that was that is horrid. Cut that. That doesn't need to stay in. Wow. I need a shelter. <laughs> yeah. When I'm embarrassed about when you know it was bad. Yeah. Wait, can you tell me a little bit, yeah. Paola? I'm curious. I just saw a new Pokemon Snap there. What? Oh, yeah. Um. So a little while before recording, I started new Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo Switch. And I'm just gotta say, I was like a very big fan of the original Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo 64. I... Actually, I like, think I played like last year again because I don't know. There's a lot of nostalgia attached to the, to that particular game. The new Pokemon Snap takes the core of what was the original Pokemon Snap adventure and runs away with it. I love it because they have this kind of semblance of story, or like they give you a reason to start like photographing like all these Pokemon. So you have Professor Mirror who is currently studying like the Pokemon in this lens region and uh, he very much wants you to take pictures of Pokemon at different like times of day uh, just to study them because he is pretty much like, trying to study Pokemon in their natural habit. So uh, you jump into this 
new unit, no, new one, I think was the name of the vehicle. And just as thought from the original Pokemon Snap, you have to go into this on-rail thing and take pictures of Pokemon. I thought the gameplay loop will get a little bit repetitive, but there's almost always something new to do. I'm still like in the opening hours of the game, but I already explored the original area, the first area of the game twice. And the thing is, it the area you visit kind of like levels up according of like how many pictures you took, how good are the pictures, and overall just by going there and taking pictures and interacting with the Pokemon, you get the experience points and then you unlock more events on the same map. You can also explore the same area at night. And things are different, even like when there's like the exact same groups of Pokemon that live in that area, they are either like sleeping or, for example, there was like a Noctowl that was like sleeping on inside a tree during the, the daytime and it was just perched up in the same tree like during the, the nighttime. And there was also a scorpion running around, which by the way, I need to photograph because of some of the missions or side quests they give you. Also, there's the, the thing about the game are the Lumina Pokemon, because there are like these special crystals that if certain Pokemon interact with them, they like become like all glowy, but the Lumina Pokemon have like very special patterns and pretty much you, you want to follow them, take pictures of them and bring them back to the professor so he can see like why these Pokemon glow the way they glow in the dark after interacting with this like weird mineral thing. So yeah, it has been a lot of fun. I also unlocked the thing that looks like an apple, but it is called a fluffert. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like an apple, but it is way lighter. So I guess it's so you can still throw it at the Pokemon and not make it look like you're like hurting the Pokemon in, in any way. Yeah, because it wasn't in like the first one, you would literally just like whip fruit at their heads and like piss them off to get yeah, shots. You, yeah, like, I like that. You can, in, in the first Pokemon game, you either lure Pokemon like to certain spots, like mm -hmm. uh, a Pikachu to a surfing board, so you can get like a picture of a Pikachu surfing or... Um, a Pikachu towers an electrode, and then you have like this Pikachu like rolling the electrode around. But you can also like throw the apple to the electrode and make it explode. No, no one is stopping you from doing that. And actually, an electrode that exploded in his paint that somehow gave you like more points than a healthy electrode. Th that was kind of like fucked up. So they say like, okay, you're not actually like damaging the Pokemon and they love this treat. So they will be happy if you throw some at them. <laughs> that very much is like the exact same thing, just like with um, kid-friendly um, flavor checks. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's uh, Pokemon Snap right now. And it looks gorgeous. Like even like in the tiny Switch screen, the game is one of the best looking Nintendo Switch games I've seen. Nice. If not the best. I think it was Bandai Namco, if I'm yeah, remembering correctly. I think it is Bandai Namco. Um, they've been doing some great stuff with mm -hmm. the Switch. Yep. Oh, and there was like these awesome, awesome Easter egg because like one of the first Pokemon you see on the original Pokemon Snap is Adoro that comes like from the bushes. And just like runs around the place. And here you see a Dodrio that is the oval form 
that was like a nice little callback. And the other nice little callback that is for like here, take take some nostalgia here, is that you actually meet the original photographer from the original Pokemon stuff. And I saw that and it blew my mind. Like just in the nostalgia, it was like, oh my god, it, it is that guy, it is that guy. And my boyfriend was just looking at my screen. He's like, oh, who's that guy? It is Todd from the original Pokemon stuff. Sorry, I'm going to have to stop fangirling for a little bit and start <laughs> talking about the other games. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to stay in stuff for a That's while. Fair. Well, it sounds nice. I mean, I'm so, looking forward to playing that when it uh, when it goes on sale someday. <laughs> I don't it know will. if it's going to go on sale. All their other but, games these um, days have been going on sale. Like, even the Mario games go on sale now. Like, I know Nintendo used to be the no-sale company, but they go oh. on sale, like, Often. They're, they're on sale until they're not on sale at all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Oh, a nice little thing about the new Pokemon Snap is that they are adding new content for free. Nice. So, yeah, that pretty much blew my mind. Okay, uh, moving on. I'm still playing Nightshade. I finally entered a character's route, who is um, Hattori Hanzo. And the thing is, is that usually I would leave like the probably like the, my favorite character like for last. But in this case, it is highly advised you to do this route first because it will very much like give you like the overall picture of what the the political scenario looks in this game. So then you can just focus on what's going on in the story, like on all the other routes. Not only that, but I think this route in particular is uh, a lot like better written than the than most of the others. I really like it when there's character growth, like from especially like from the the main character of the story. And I think that this route in particular is the one that kind of gives Andrew more room to grow and to improve and to actually like sort of achieve her dreams or like her goals. The only thing is, it really sucks that uh, poor Angie was pretty much set up and now there's a lot of people after her life because everyone thinks she murdered the Emperor. Beautiful. Uh, moving on to the next game, it's Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valencia. I already completed like Celica's part of the story and currently like on Alm's path, if you want to say, of Act 4. And the thing is, it's very interesting how both armies are like balanced in a way that you don't feel stuck on a particular place because of how the enemy encounters are kind of like made with the makeup of both armies in mind. But I still like Celica's army best because she has a lot of mages, and as I previously stated, those they pretty much bypass the entire like terrain mechanics. So they're pretty broken in this game. And Pegasus Knights are like super OP because you really want units that can move like through certain maps, like the deserts, because the sound like pretty, like really slows down your units. Or like these poisonous swamps kind of map because the Pegasus Knights are pretty much immune to that. But I only have one Pegasus Knight and like two mages on Alms Road. No, three mages on Alms Road. So this army in particular is is more like a traditional Fire Emblem army, hmm. if, if I can explain it well, because it has like a m more of everything else. So it's very much like up to you. Like, but you're pretty much going to have like a very like 
physical oriented army um this part of the game but still i like how they made it so their individual like routes are like very well designed so you don't feel like oh if if only i had like the units from the other side of the map i maybe i could have won that oh it's very balanced so that's nice moving on to my next round is amnesia later for the beta i very much like just went like through half of these of Waka's like routes because i said like this character has like four routes depending on which world you want to travel to we're we're shit i know so i'm like halfway through i i i completed two i have two to go so that's good and finally ghost trick hey. i met the best boy in the game yeah, best as oh, boy. Oh, you're with is a very, very good boy. And that made me happy. Missile is fantastic. Still, yeah. Missile is fantastic. Poor boy. It's like, all I do well is just bark. <laughs> so, yeah. So, are uh, you in the apartment I, right now? Is that like where you're at? Uh, um, I just finished that section. Okay. Um, I'm currently on chapter three. Oh, okay. So, I very much like sneak my way out of it like just now. So, hopefully everything goes well i don't fuck up the puzzles <laughs> because i was pretty close to not getting the puzzle on uh, on the last chapter, the chapter but i did it nice the chapter two puzzle actually is like when i look back at it now like i think it's 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 partially a harder puzzle i think because you're still figuring out how all this works you know what i mean like it's like you haven't mm -hmm. quite grasped like all the mechanics quite yet so i find that one even when i played it it was the one that made me like it took me a little while to be like what the fuck am i doing wrong here you know yeah like the thing that threw me off of it is that i didn't notice like i guess the consequence of the consequences of interacting with a particular object something that spins so i very much like mm -hmm. bounce from one one end of the apartment to the other and trying to figure out what was wrong and then it was like oh yeah this okay <laughs> never mind but yeah like so far i don't think the game has been like unfair with the puzzles so like they are pretty doable <laughs> like you, you just have to remember like all the stuff you can do with it if you forget that's the, that's the problem but so far so good <laughs> so yeah that's everything that i've been playing Alex, do you want to take it away? Well, I thought maybe Rick, why don't we, why don't we since Rick's also playing Ghost Trick. Yeah, it might actually be a, a good sort of segue while I'm uh, in between meeting and unmeeting myself with bouts of coffee. Yeah, so to be fair, I haven't played much more of Ghost Trick. It's, um, what I will say is it's living up to every positive memory I had of it. And it is still every bit the 10 out of 10 that I remembered it being, which is good because uh, games don't always do that on a second visit, especially with sort of time out. Um, but I feel like the greats of the DS really do sort of still live up. If it nailed it on the DS at the time, generally speaking, it it still holds up when you come back to it nowadays, which is good. Even though I'm not on the DS anymore, I'm emulating it on a mobile phone. Shh, don't tell Daddy Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't tell if you don't. It's okay. Daddy Nintendo's um, like, wait, people still like the DS? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not on Switch Online. How do they know that exists anymore? <laughs> So I'm still playing uh, Kind for PC. Nothing new to say about that. Ditto Valhalla on Vita. Um, Ditto Warrior Land 4 on the Game Boy Advance. I have got some more to say about Vagrant Story, um, which I'm now, I think, past the halfway point of more, more sort of the two-thirds kind of point. This game is really something. It, uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend people play it, though, which is sort of a strange one, because for better and in many cases for worse, it is very much a product of its time. Um, this is a game with a focus on crafting, with a remarkably 
horribly tight limit on inventory that you can carry. Every menu takes a couple of seconds to click through. So using the boxes at, at most smithies and save points to sort of swap things in and out is tedious. Uh, every menu has too many button clicks to do the things that you want to do in them. Instead of putting the map on select button, select like start uh, takes you to a first person view of the surroundings because it's 3D now. Woo! And the game does look gorgeous. So I, I totally understand why they wanted to show that off. But they didn't need two buttons and all of the directions on the right analog stick to do it. They could have... <laughs> start button could have been it and it would have been absolutely fine. But the, the, the game underneath it is really interesting. To, to recap, I don't know if I've talked about it before, it uses a risk mechanic. So as you use attacks and as you chain attacks into those attacks, um, your risk meter rises. Uh, the risk meter reduces your base percentage hit chance. It also increases your critical hit chance, albeit it does the former far more than it does the latter. So there's a weird sort of point on the learning curve of the game where for whichever weapon you're sort of getting used to using, you start to learn the timings of the chain attacks. But actually, there's a meta decision to make, which is, do I want to chain with a disgustingly low hit chance? Do I want to just keep spamming single attacks so that the risk doesn't smash higher and higher and stay where I am? Or do I want to back off and either with an expendable item or um, by sort of staying away from the enemy, do I want to just let that meter drop? In bosses and against tougher enemies... Those second and third options aren't especially viable. You essentially just have to hope that you can uh, tank the risk out and or sort of use some of the items that diminish it a little bit. Uh, and th there's lots of little instances like that. So there's, there's lots of quirks within the combat system that you essentially have to learn your way around. And unfortunately, the way the game is broken is more often than not in the game's favor rather than in yours. So it's a weird one. But it also does so many things that I can't think of other times I've seen in the games, particularly in the combat. So most people sort of think of pressing a button at the right time of combat to be involved as a Super Mario RPG thing. I think Vagrant Story did it first. And if it didn't, it certainly did it different and did it in a way that I think is more engaging because there's so many more decisions to make with every button press or, or, or active decision not to press. Also, the actual things that happen like on a defensive button press, uh, you have much more agency with. The story... Um, tackles a narrative that's very sort of deep and engaged, goes to some quite dark places. The way that it integrates puzzles is kind of weird, but it is, again, also not something that you just see in games generally. And uh, as an overall thing, it's a fascinating playthrough. I'm personally very, very glad that I've made the time for it, having had it literally since I owned a PSP. So I've, I've had it like from PSN for about a decade before I've even bothered to start it. But unless you're someone who, like me, has sort of seen the game in passing and found themselves intrigued by it or by the, the, the place in gaming history that it came from, like, objectively, it's a 7 out of 10 game. And it's a good 7 out of 10, but similar to what we've, what we've said about many Metroidvanias in the past, there are so many excellent RPGs, it's a tricky one to recommend this over various other games unless you have a specific interest in it. Um, but I am enjoying my time playing it. Um, I've also enjoyed dipping back into Rocket League with the new season four, which dropped a couple of days ago at the time of recording. Uh, by the time this drops, it'll probably been out for a few weeks now. It's still Rocket League. It's still fantastic. I haven't gotten too rusty, which is always good. Um, and I'm having a blast sort of dipping into it with podcasts on in the background with friends, that sort of thing. It's uh, the the game I know and love. And it, it the day it changes on me is is the day that I that I leave this mortal coil, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe trim that. That was a little bit overdramatic. Anyway. <laughs> 
the the last thing mm-hmm. I've been playing, and this is a new thing completely, um, is the Icky Island expansion to Ghost of Tsushima. I haven't gone very far. By all accounts, it's not a massive expansion. And to be fair, the map isn't huge. But I've really enjoyed revisiting the game, and I've liked the gameplay that I've had so far. So uh, the concept behind the DLC is that following um, the events of the main campaign, uh, a scouting party of Mongols from nearby Iki Island um, appears uh, on one corner of the map. Uh, they appear with a new enemy type called a shaman, which is like a, a buffing type enemy. So it completely changes the way that you have to play the game because there's because it's not a thing that the combat previously had. Um, and the buff that it gives the enemies makes them attack relentlessly, which because of the way um, Tsushima's combat is set up, can really throw a spanner in the works if you let them subsist. Once you defeat that party, you find out about a character called the Eagle on the island um, who's planning a a psychological weapon-fueled attack on the island of Tsushima. Um, So Jin resolves to set out and defeat the Eagle once and for all. The story is much more of a focus in what was already quite a story-heavy game. It throws a lot of new sort of little mechanics in the mix, even this early. Uh, I particularly like the ability to use some of your resolve to make the horse charge through enemies because uh, it makes the horse a little bit more involved in the combat in a way that they weren't previously. I think it's maybe a smidge weaker than the base game for me so far, but ultimately it's more Tsushima, and that is never going to be a bad thing. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to finishing this, and I suspect this would be a wasteland situation where it's uh, absolutely going to be knocked out by the time we speak next. Uh, and that's it for me. Alex, tell us about what you've been playing. Nice. I've been playing more of the same, playing more Tomato Adventure, enjoying it. I'm going really slowly through this game. Um... I'm sure I'll beat it, but it's just like, it's not a game you got to rush through, you know? <laughs> um, it's fun. Uh, I, I, I kind of like haven't been playing it quite as much just because I have so many other like handheld games on the go, right? Um, so like I've been playing a lot of Oracle of Seasons right now, which I'm absolutely loving. I'm, I think I just beat the third dungeon. Um, going through it pretty quick. It's, it's, it's such a fun little game. And, you know, interestingly, I thought that the menu swapping thing might bother me a little, but it's really not that annoying. like you know like they designed it with that in mind right like they knew you're gonna have to open your menu up frequently and like it's so easy to swap things that like it doesn't really matter right it's like you press start you hit the button you want to switch the weapon to done you know like it's there's no like frills right there's no like you want to equip this you know what i mean like it's just like it was clearly designed with them saying like how can we as quickly as humanly possible get them into a menu and swap the weapon and like it just it works you know um the exact opposite of vagrant story yeah there you go right um like they just knew what they were doing with it and it is funny though i've been hearing like dragon's been talking about this a little bit like how he's always used to being able to like pick up pots and stuff and that's so funny because i find that such a um that's such a holdover from like different zelda games like on different eras and stuff but like as someone who like grew up really playing the game boy ones like i always knew i was like nah, motherfucker you can't pick up a big old pot like that like a pot smaller than link maybe but the size of link ah you need something special <laughs> but it's so funny because mm. like i do realize like this is what i was curious about like i'm curious about those who are coming to it you know from having played other zelda games because i think there are some unique quirks in it which also for me though is why i like them so much because they do feel different one of the, like the critiques i can sometimes have but i don't even think zelda games really do this but um, some games and series will do this where it's just like they're so consistently the same. But I think that's one of the strengths of Zelda games is that like, no, like they're actually quite different 
like game to game. Oftentimes there'll be like a sequel that's slightly similar, right? Like you'll see pairings like the DS Zelda games. You'll see things like, you know, Ocarina and Majora's Mask, Link's Awakening and the Oracle games, right? Like they have like pairings that I think fit nicely together that will like share similar mechanics, but then they'll kind of just move on after that. And I really like that. Like we're seeing it too with with Breath of the Wild. Like I'm certain after Breath of the Wild 2, that's that they're going to move on to something new, right? Like that's just how how they kind of work with and i really like that concept of where it's like okay the your first time you do it it's like was there anything on the cutting room floor that we want to try or can we iterate on this any in any other way all right let's make a second game and then it's just like throw it put it to bed you know right maybe someday in the future we'll come back to these ideas but like let's move on and i don't know like it's i think it's part of why people like got so fucking burnt out on the assassin's creed games like i loved them but holy fuck it was like slow down and i i'm actually seeing it happen again now in a lot of ways like when i saw valhalla come out i was like bro there's no way in fucking hell i can play that game like i loved odyssey so much but i was like are you shitting me man another like what 80 hour game in this world with it's going to be the same fucking thing i can't do that you can't no you already made a great game it's not the same it's in england now i know right yeah (laughs) and that's the thing where i'm just like it's so weird because like odyssey was so phenomenal and then it's like this is the problem, right? Like I remember playing Black Flag and then it was like fucking Syndicate and them came out and I was like, oh, I can't do that shit, man. No, you already made a phenomenal game. I'm done, right? Like, I was like you just check out. So I don't know. And maybe that's how Assassin's Creed works. Maybe you just have to not play three games in between and then come back later. But it's kind of sad, you know? <laughs> Because the core game yeah. is good, but yeah. Do you have some thoughts there, Powder? Yeah, one of the things that I really love about Zelda, like, as you say, like, gameplay-wise, you know, like, how different they can be like from each other like how different the combat can feel or just moving around in the world if you want to take like the example of Ocarina of Time versus Majora's Mask like they run the same engine but they have like the very different perks Mm -hmm. but they also like look very different from each other and that's the other thing that I really love because I can see a screenshot or a piece of concept art and and I immediately know what game that is from yeah and you know Something that I, speaking of traversal, actually, that's something that I th- I think is kind of interesting because like this game has such different modes of traversal. Like at one point you're in a fucking kangaroo, right? Like you get pets that you can like go on and ride and like attack with. And I was like, it's just so, like I'm riding a dinosaur at one point, you know? I'm like, this is dope. And you can't even like argue, like it's not like Link's Awakening where they're like, it's all a dream. You're like, no, 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 this is it. This is real. <laughs> and this is it's for real. And so I'm I'm really enjoying it, and it's it's the perfect um, like sit and watch a TV show kind of game. Like lately, I've been um, I've been rewatching all of The Simpsons, and yes, I mean all of The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> I'm already like 100 episodes in, or so. Yeah, look, I'm one of those people who says that The Simpsons has always been fine and is still fine. Is it amazing? No, it's never actually been amazing. It's always been good. And sometimes... It's great. had purple patches. It's had purple patches. I don't really think so. Like, when you actually go okay. and look at an individual episode, they're fine. I just think we change, right? You get older, opinions on things change. The show tackles different subjects. But, like, there's always been weak episodes. There's always been really great episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that, like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really think it's gotten, like, trash at all. Like, maybe it's slightly less, but I don't know. I think people grew up in I the 90s. I think familiarity and, uh, breeds contempt, though, rather yeah. than, like, it's gone downhill so much. Exactly. Because it was always an insane show. Mm-hmm. Like, even in, like, the... What's the, Anyway, this is a whole other subject. But even in, like, the, the golden era of The Simpsons that people always point to, like, you know, like, the episode seasons two to seven or something, there's episodes in there that are just so insane. And I love them. 
but they're as insane as episodes nowadays. Anyway, regardless. Side question. Where do you find the time? The time? To watch? Yeah, to do all of this stuff. Yeah, Just oh, I've, I've, I've smashed out a 40-hour also, by the way, yeah, I've watched 100 episodes of The Simpsons. Uh, oh, that's over like a couple months <laughs> of The Simpsons. Right, okay. Not this yeah, but it's in the past week. Oh, God, not in right. the past week. Just fully no, anyway. I'll give you a pass. See, what I do is like I have a lot of really good concentrated time. That's my thing. Like I, I go right. hard. Like I pre-prep all my stuff. Like because like, I teach, right? And I'm a student right now. So like I get all my shit done in like really intense chunks of time. And then that gives me free time to game and whatnot. I'm what one might call a keener um, <laughs> who wakes up at 6 a.m., goes to the gym and walks his dog and then pounds out a day's worth of work before, you know, noon. <laughs> um, in high school, we called that keno. In adulthood, I just call that someone who's got their shit together to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing I how much you get done. Get my together. Yeah, but also something to be realistic too. Like I know, Paula, you, like you've got family and whatnot that you're living with stuff too. And like, I look, it's just me, my dog, and my my partner, right? Like, realistically, I have a lot of downtime, you know. And like with COVID and whatnot, hanging out with friends has mostly been online or occasionally anything. So I'm envisioning actually my time to shrink very soon, though, because I'll be starting a practicum in a high school in uh, November, and so I'll be doing the, you know eight to three job and i will be very busy <laughs> you'll be working again yeah oh. right now i'm just like chilling you know i work in the evenings but it's not that intense anywho that was a whole what a tangent on oracle of seasons so basically when i sit and watch <laughs> the simpsons i play oracle of seasons <laughs> it's like my like you know for an hour or two at night relax watch three episodes chill out what else am i playing the great Ace attorney chronicles i'm on the third adventure now uh wow this game does something extremely different and i completely see why people in japan didn't like this game when it came out i love it but i a hundred percent see why people were like what the fuck um (laughs) i actually think the change is phenomenal but we'll just say they do something that like i would i would say drastically drastically changes the structure of ace attorney games and for the better because usually ace attorney games i think they always have one or two cases that are kind of like they're, they're kind of fluff you know like they're fun but they, they they're just sort of like fun side stories you know what i mean like they don't they don't move the critical path forward yeah. i understand what you're yeah. saying yeah and they're good but they're there because you're kind of like oh, i need five episodes <laughs> you know what i mean whereas in this one they've done something really interesting is this a spoiler i don't know if you're worried about structure of the second episode of Ace Attorney, stop listening for 30 seconds. So the, they, there's no court case in the second one. There's just none. It's deductions. Mm-hmm. And it's just the investigation phase. And it's doing the Sherlock deductions. And it's awesome. <laughs> to be fair, like the deduction part kind of like remind me, reminded me of how in the investigations games you don't have a court case you only have the investigations to go on and you pretty much have to squeeze information out of everyone like doing the those segments and find contradictions and stuff like that it's kind of like logic chess to an extent but with very like not serious characters like h4 was yeah and i i think you can expect something like that in in that game because it's called like you know like miles edgeworth investigation you know what i mean like it's like mm-hmm. whereas this one yeah. is like the great ace attorney in mainline so, yeah, yeah like even though it's technically not mainline it is technically a spinoff but really it's mainline because it's it, 
it's shoot Takumi, right? Like it's like this is this is the main line. The B team makes the main line now. It's confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, but... but I at first I was a little bit like, when are, are we gonna? Is it gonna be like a? Because you're at sea in it, and I was like, is this gonna be like a navy court? And then I was like, oh shit, there's just none. And I was like, that is refreshing, actually. Um, it made it concise. It made it. I felt like I got to get to know the characters better. It just felt like it made sense in that world, and like it was like a nice investigation. And, and so I'm kind of looking for like I'm like I'm hoping there's that kind of variety. And again, you can see that coming over from the Professor Layton games because like there was the puzzle segments, but then also like there weren't traditional like five act structure in that Layton game, right? It was like there were a couple major court scenes, and so it feels to me like what I think is interesting about this is that it's setting up the game. So that there are investigation segments, but they don't necessarily have to be within a, a chapter, right? Like you could have a chapter that's potentially just all in court, which I'm sure they probably do, because that was like a thing in Layton. And then it's like, you could have one where you're just investigating, or maybe there's a mix of both. So anyway, it, it, for the first time in a long time, I feel like I'm like, I don't know where it's going. And that's exciting. You know, like most Ace Attorney yeah. games, when I play them, I'm like, I know where this is going. But I'm like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> Though I do see cool breadcrumbs dropping. As a history nerd, the Japan-Russia stuff and all this is real fucking cool. And like England, Japan, and all that shit. I'm just like, this is a really interesting time period to set your game in. And I'm digging it. Um, So yeah. Also, Kazuma's theme is the fucking best. I want to listen to that on repeat. Yeah. His theme is so good. Anyway, all right. Let's, let's... By the way, I need to like take that code and like, Put it on my Switch so I can actually like listen to to the music on repeat. Yeah, do it. Uh, I, I started one more game, uh, The Artful Escape, which released just recently uh, and also on Game Pass. This game is fucking sick. So this is like a platformer guitar game, but released by Anna Perna Interactive, but it's um, developed by this called Beethoven and Dinosaur great company name <laughs> it's literally just an image of beethoven and a dinosaur and i love it but it's it's made by um one of the members of the galvatrons which i guess is this like pop electro australian band who was like active for like a decade i think they like left in 2017 or something like that and so he really wanted to make this um this game and like the best way i can sort of describe the game is like it's it's like a rock opera it's like it's like the story of how david bowie found Ziggy Stardust. I think that's how the developer actually describes it. It's like about an artist finding and, and embracing a stage uh, a stage per- persona. And it's really cool. The music's fucking awesome. He's like, you basically play as this kid who's like the nephew of a basically Bob Dylan character. So like the town all expects him. You know what? This was actually, I, I, I picked up this game because I was like, this would be a fun palate cleanser. It's only like a couple hours long. And, you know, I want to, I'm going to jump into Yakuza like a dragon next because I've given up on playing the rest of the Yakuza games because there's not enough life. Um, I'm just going to jump into this one. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm done. <laughs> it's like, there's too many. I played Kiwami. I know the story of those guys-ish. I'm done. I'm just going to, someday, perhaps I'll play the others. But I'm like, let's go with like a dragon because I hear it's great and I want an RPG. But I thought this would be nice. And it's set in Colorado, just like, fucking wasteland 3 was so i was like what a different setting of colorado for this one (laughs) gorgeous game oh my god it reminds me of oxenfree and its presentation in some ways but except except that the backgrounds i would actually argue are far more gorgeous in this game like the background artwork that was done in this is unbelievable like the character animations are that kind of like uh papery 
look, you know, where like the el- like it's like you can really tell where the joints are in the elbows. Like they don't like you know what I mean. Like it's like that two D style, and uh, no one has eyes. Lots of glasses in this game. <laughs> They're all wearing glasses and shit. I don't know. It's just a weird thing I noticed, but um. It also has incredible voice talent in it. Like Lena Headey's in it, um, you know, from Game of Thrones, Cersei. Carl Weathers is in it, and he is awesome. Like, you could tell when he arrives, his voice is so good. Jason Schwartzman's in it. Like, and they use them all so well, too. Like, it's it's really great. Like, the voice acting is stellar, beautifully cinematic in so many ways, but then also fun. Like, the platforming bits are genuinely thrilling because, like, you have this mechanic of, like, you can... play your guitar like the entire way as you're running and so like you know he's like this like you know nephew of this bob dylan like character the whole town expects him to be the next big folk guitarist but like folk music isn't his calling right and so he's just like really obsessed with sci-fi and like fucking just crazy rocks uh like pop operas and then he goes on this anyway you go on a crazy journey and it gets fucking freaky in the coolest ways the visuals in this are sick and I like can't recommend recommend this game enough. Just beautiful, just fantastic sounding. Really fun guitar stuff that you do. Um, not particularly challenging yet by any stretch of the imagination, but more just about this really fun exploration. It's like playing a Wes Anderson movie um, mixed with a yeah, like I don't know, mixed with what else would I mix it with? Mixed with Rocket Man, I guess. You know, <laughs> like it's that kind of like <laughs> mixture. It's just really uh it's really fucking cool. It's on Game Pass, so like, pfft, go to town. Um, <laughs> As you went, the fly just came in. I could see yeah. it on my screen. Yeah, it just hit me right in the face. I'm like, God damn. Um, so yeah, Artful Escape. I, I did notice it stuttered a little bit on my Xbox Series X, which I was like, because hmm. there was a pretty. It does not look like moment. a game that should tax that. Well, when you play it, you'll see. I. I, I when? thought that too. Oh, hold on, yeah, you. you should. You really should play it because I think you'll really enjoy <laughs> well, it. Um, listen, I'm going to do a Game Pass month. I'm thinking it's probably going to go on that list. Yeah, because it's like four hours, right? Like you might as well. Um, I can squeeze it in. Exactly. Because my thing is like, at first, I was a little confused though when I saw that like, it was like a slight moment of slowdown. Only only one little moment, but it was at a particular moment that was like insane. But I did notice a slight slowdown. I was like, huh, weird. But anyway, that's that. So anyway, that was the Artful Escape. Check it out on Game Pass or other places probably, but I didn't research it beforehand. Okay. <laughs> uh, so why don't we move on to our topic for this week, which is mm, food and games. Um, <laughs> yummy, yummy. <laughs> this was a joke that Paula said because she's got like a thousand photos from Cafe en- uh, Enchanté. Um, <laughs> Cafe Pain Chante, you pronounce Pain it wrong. Chante, yeah, that's right. Um, but then I was like, why don't we actually talk about this? Because I think it's actually a pretty interesting subject because food is, as we know, essential, uh, keeps us alive, little known fact. Um, <laughs> uh, and it seems to be having a bit of a, dare I say, resurgence in games um, as of late. I mean, there is a period of time where, you know, food in games was the turkey you pick up to heal yourself, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> for a long time, that's what it was. And I would really love to know who was the first person who thought of that uh, as an idea. Like, why was it turkey? But anyway, I know in Japan it wasn't. It was other things. But at least in uh, the West, they're like, turkey, that makes the most sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I thought what we could do today is maybe talk a bit about the history of uh, ga- food and games. Um, talk about why the fuck do we have food and games? And then Paula, I also think, has lots of notes about this. So... 
she'll take us on yeah, a bit of an odyssey as well. Yeah. <laughs> Should we start maybe with the history of food and games? Um, Take it away, Alex, because I think you're the only one who actually researches this. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go a little quickly. So, like, when it comes to food in games, as I mentioned, the, the kind of earliest sort of things we can look to is stuff like Streets of Rage and Castlevania and whatnot and fighting games, right? And in fighting games, you know, food was the pickup uh, that healed you. And even in early, like, CRPGs, that was kind of the thing, right? Like, they, they started very much as healing items, um and so honestly what they were was kind of meaningless they were mostly just like representations but then you also have things like pac-man right which is very clearly based off of food but not necessarily about food and actually brings in an interesting thing i want to talk a little bit later there i saw i read a really good thing about like gender and food when it comes to games and there's some cool stuff about it um yeah there's a really interesting uh take on uh food um in the video game industry which I would like to get everyone's thoughts on, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later. So just, just you wait. Um, and then as we move along, um, food and games shifts a little bit, right? When you have the introduction, uh, introduction of farming games, right? Farming simulators, um, Harvest Moon. I mean, Rune Factory comes way later, but like, you know, you've got all these sort of like, and then Stardew Valley, right? Eventually that's way down the line. Um, but you can sort of look at those farming simulators and their rise and then Cooking Mama, which... <laughs> Cannot talk about mm. food games without talking about Cooking Mama. <laughs> cooking Mama. Exactly. Yeah, which I think, frankly, made food and games a thing. You know, <laughs> it was like beforehand, it was like periphery, right? Like you were farming, but even in games like Harvest Moon and even in Stardew Valley, really, the emphasis isn't really on making food from it, right? Sometimes you do mm. to, you know, befriend or woo a lover, but arguably it was the farming process um and so cooking mama was really about the cooking process right so then you had these two separate things and these two separate fields and what's interesting is that after games like cooking mama where you see most food in games is actually in mobile games um and this is where the gender stuff actually comes in a little bit because there's a really interesting article that talks about how like even when pac-man was created the man when he was creating it he he actually like he, he, he talks about this in his interviews where he says like, well, he's like, well, I was thinking to myself, like, I want to make my game appeal to more than just like, men. I want to appeal to women and children. And he expressly said, food, that's something that appeals. And so he wanted to create it based around that kind of idea, which is fascinating. Um, and it extends onward into games like Cooking Mama, and it extends into the concept of casual games versus, you know, core games kind of thing. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself because I do want to talk about that later. Um, but then... You hit into um, yeah the mobile space where we get games like Candy Crush, Cookie Clicker, where we get like lots of food-based games, right? That kind of explode onto the mobile area, and I would argue are still there. Remember Farmville? Um, <laughs> so, I'm a- yeah. oh, I remember. Yeah, everyone just had a oh, yeah. yeah, right. You're like, <laughs> oh, as you like flash back to Facebook. But I would say around 2016-ish, maybe even a bit earlier than that, uh, there was this sudden influx of like very serious food in games right i mean we look at monster hunter world right whoa big intense on that final fantasy 15 uh with Ingus's cooking and whatnot uh breath of the wild obviously um and like a lot of these rpg games i mean yakuza 6 even it has real photos of food in it (laughs) um but suddenly we like I feel like around that time we see food become something that is like an integral part of the game or at least a very intense mini game. 
I, yeah, because I wouldn't say it's integral, but it's like it's a very uh, uh, a well thought out part of it. So anyway, that's like my really abbreviated history of food and games. And obviously there are major outliers, but yeah. yeah. And as a tiny sort of look into the future of food in video games, what, what twigged in my memory while you were talking is a, a game that's been teased for PlayStation 5 called Noor Play With Your Food, which is described on its website, which you can see at HTTPS food.game, imaginatively <laughs> titled, an interactive exploration into the aesthetics of food, 20 plus goal-free, edible vignettes oh interesting and fun fact mm-hmm. this is published by panic the people behind the upcoming little handheld whose name i've forgotten with the crank oh goodness gracious the me the play date that's the one <laughs> okay. oh i'm not very well at all <laughs> that's all right that's okay <laughs> but it's like yeah because even these days now you see people like there's it's so popular to make to make the food from games right like there's this transition from like also like let's try to make games from breath of the wild recipes and whatnot and, like, stuff and like it, that. it it the nor is almost like the purest distillation of food as art rather than food as sustenance in the mm-hmm. sense that you can't you can't do anything besides look at that food. Like you can interact with it in every way other than the way that food is meant. Yeah. Like from an evolutionary perspective to be interacted with. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's super interesting. So not, t- not that the game will be interesting, but like, I, I think that as a concept is quite interesting. <laughs> Me too. So Paula, mm-hmm. what are, what are some of the things you wanted to touch on for this topic? <laughs> okay. So first of all, disclaimer, I've been introduced to the, um activity or art called as cooking since i was like four or five years old mm. so one of the things i always pay t- attention to is like the food that is very like in video games because on some visual novels like i found chante or pain chante they made it look like fantastic mm-hmm. and one of the things that i've always like struggled with a little bit is like overall like presentation of the beach so they're pretty much like a lot of video games very much gave me ideas on how to improve my cooking. So I'm always like mm. investigating and taking notes and stuff like that. Can I ask a quick question before you go? Who introduced you to uh-huh. cooking when you were young? Oh, uh, my father. Because yeah. each That wasn't weekend... the answer you were expecting. Sorry, go on. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Keep going. We, yeah, also, like you got to remember, week... we live in very culturally different areas. Sorry, go ahead, Paula. <laughs> right. So each weekend, when ever since I was young, uh, father pretty much like, taught me like, things about cooking like from the uh, chopping the the veggies or like mm. cleaning a specific veggies and as i grew older i was like allowed to i don't know fry stuff i actually used the oven and stuff like that uh so yeah like every weekend when i lived at my at my parents house mm-hmm. it was like weekend that means the whole family is cooking together and that means probably is getting some training on on the kitchen too. Nice. So there's a real culture of like like family together, like cooking together. Is that would you say? Or? I wouldn't say it is oh, common sorry. by I, any means. I meant like in your household. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like in my house in particular, there's like this thing about cooking together. Even when they have like I want to say like family or family friends visiting we do a stuff together like whenever like one of my friends comes uh, into my house I we would try to uh, make omurice or something like that nice. we, we actually like try it over and over again up, until we perfected it or in the case like at my boyfriend's house one of the things we do like on usually like on Fridays 
is like we do like a variety like of stuff so you can like make like your own little lunchbox or bento kind of thing so for me cooking usually means like working together with someone unless it is on the place i currently live at <laughs> because everyone like cooks at whatever hour they can eat because we have like fairly um, different schedules i still like cook food for everyone from time to time but more often than not uh everyone does it's uh, their own thing can I ask too because so, now I'm curious about everyone and then I want to jump back to get out too because like for me personally like when like my introduction to cooking didn't really happen for me when I was young like it wasn't really a thing like my mom very much cooked right like my dad can cook breakfast <laughs> and like one or two meals and like I would help her occasionally but it was like a very specific helping right like I was never really taught how to like really make a meal like I also basically just knew how to make breakfast you know like I could make really good eggs essentially until I was in my mid-20s and I was like fuck this I gotta learn how to cook <laughs> and like I went like hard I bought like a fancy chef's cookbook right like, like I mean like one of the ones that's like not your everyday cooking and I used that and so I cooked like really hard dishes in order to learn how to cook right because I was like you know what I never cook those dishes anymore because I can I don't need to you know what I mean I can do other things but like I had to really teach myself and I'm curious Rick what about for you like what was there's a lot of parallels there like um growing up it was my mum who did all the cooking my dad could feed himself but he couldn't feed himself well but my mum was very eager to sort of share the cooking for, for sort of cultural reasons so i i learned a lot of dishes growing up uh i went to university knowing enough mm. and i've sort of gradually bit by bit picked things up so there's this dichotomy in in my culinary life if if i can be that wanky where i i can and occasionally do cook quite fancy cook quite extravagant but generally because it's just me i will cook mm. rather utilitarian um so i do a lot of salads at the moment um and that's literally spinach beetroot ghost cheese protein if i'm feeling hungry and a dressing uh and there's no real effort goes into any of that prep wise and then dinner will be chicken and vegetables they either all go in the air fryer or it goes in the oven so very little effort happens on my part the oven does all the heavy lifting but while i don't necessarily give it all the time and attention on my otherwise i can and i, I definitely appreciate that side of cooking yeah. and and all the um in terms of what you say Paolo, about it's sort of being a shared time because certainly on on family occasions um, whenever I'm home and we get together for Christmases and Easter's and stuff like that, the, the cooking and the, the eating together and the sharing that experience is a big part of that. So uh, I definitely recognize that aspect of it as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that is very similar to even what I would talk about. Cause like I, yeah. It's like, almost a bleed of the two in a way. Yeah. Cause when I think yeah. about it, I was like you a couple years ago, right? Like I had known, I knew enough how to cook. Cause my, my mom made sure I knew how to do things. It's just like, you know, I wasn't like making lots of crazy stuff. Right. But it was like, yeah, when you're alone, the fuck, fuck man i don't have time to make crazy shit, you know what i mean like or like you don't there's no need to but then now like the cost benefit isn't there is how i'd put it yeah. like it, it's not worth the effort for me for how much difference it will make to the experience of eating it yeah yeah and it's interesting to be oh sorry Paula, yeah. i was gonna say like for me the, um the amount of effort i put into a dish it actually makes the difference like big time mm. because i really enjoy seeing like this plate of food that had like all these different like shapes and colors and kind of like looks pretty it's very much like oh i know this is i could have done this like in less time with the same ingredient but it wouldn't look as pretty i it wouldn't make me as happy 
So there's okay, that little same. like yeah, that, that, <laughs> there's like that little aspect of like self love that I pretty much had to learn the the hard way. Uh, pretty much like hey, I, I appreciate myself. I'm gonna like to try to do like this maybe not fancy but uh something a little bit more elaborate because it's like I, I should take care of myself in that way. Hmm. That is interesting. I like that. Okay, cool. Sorry, I just wanted to know like our sort of traditions with it. Cause like now that I live with my partner and whatnot, like I very much plan meals on a weekly basis and like, you know what I mean? Like, like creating, getting ingredients. Like I've turned into like, oh, I have to, I know what groceries I get. You know what I mean? I'm an adult now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, it felt like that feeling of where it's like, I make a grocery list and I'm like, and the grocery list is like each of my meals uses ingredients like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like all the ingredients that I buy for that week are for multiple meals. And it's just like, that way I use it all. Like, it's like, I've learned. And you've got the overlaps planned out. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it took yeah. time. Um, so why don't you keep going then, Paula? Because we interrupted you and you're, yeah, I want you to get through your notes. <laughs> it's okay. We went on a tangent from cooking in video games to cooking in real life, which I'm perfectly fine with. This is the how long to eat podcast now. It's yeah. Good. It's gone. <laughs> Ta-da. So one particular thing that I've noticed about putting video games, like the the most common way to put food in video games is making it a healing item. But mm -hmm. as you say, like in Stardew Valley, you have to grow food, but not for yourself, but to sell it, mm -hmm. which was another like pretty interesting angle on that part. But you can also make preparations with the food and sell it for more money or like use it for because you get fatigue in that game. So if you really want like to go into the mines and stuff like that, you, you might want to, to bring some food with you. Mm -hmm. But also there's, for example, Breath of the Wild that you can eat the food, you can cook the food and make like a health recovery items or like stat boosting items. Mm -hmm. But you can also use it as bait, not only like for mm -hmm. the animals around you, but for the enemies too and each individual animal has like a set of food that, that like that they actually like so if you i don't know if you're like hunting a specific kind of animal or a specific kind of fish you can use food to get more food or like just distract the enemies and run away if you're not really feeling like fighting yeah you know i saw something interesting too that talked about how breath of the wilds systems like like you were mentioning like stardew valley again it's like focusing on the farming part a little bit on the cooking but like really it's about like farm maybe follow a recipe like specific instructions to make something new breath of the wild really has that find your ingredients then create see how you did repeat your process right go again like it's really about like the experimentation of like you have to think to yourself like what might go together well right um which is like that sort of move and like i feel like that's actually a level in like even when cooking in real life like i don't know you start by following instructions right you follow recipes yeah eventually you learn like oh wait, there's actually fundamentals to cooking that if I know these specific things, I can create my own dishes, right? And like, I think Breath of the Wild is neat because sometimes people will tell you things like, oh, try throwing a berry in there or try doing this, right? Or like something like that. And like, you can like mm -hmm. listen and like experiment. And so it like more mimics that kind of, I don't know, very basic foundational elements of cooking very interestingly, I think. Yeah, and the fun thing about Breath of the Wild is you don't have like a proper cookbook with all the mm -hmm. uh, recipes. You very much like have to write them if 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 it's something like more complicated complicated than just throwing a couple of berries like in a frying pan or something like that, mm -hmm. but when you're like walking around Hyrule, if you go to the stables or some of the stores, they have a recipe on the wall. Yeah, I love that. I, it was like, oh, I I would never have thought of throwing these and these together and 
making these like in game. So yeah, that's Breath of the Wild, and so I have quite a list of games here. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I actually knew I would have to mention Breath of the Wild, so I was like, oh my god, we shouldn't talk about this much home playing. I can't laugh because I'm going to revert to type in a couple of minutes as well. Yeah, I know you are. I saw you <laughs> type it. <laughs> yep. The other games that feature food like well permanently are like well one of them was cookie mama which by the way mm -hmm. for everyone who hasn't like who doesn't look like a leak about what cookie mama is go watch uh in animations there is a video on cooking mama and it is amazing it is chop kiss pun intended nah, and... <laughs> i approve of that i like that <laughs> or like one of the things that people didn't like like about bread of the well is how did you could just eat all the food and there's nothing stopping you. In Genshin Impact, as much shit I give to that game, um, there's a hunger meter on that game, so you can't eat everything in your inventory until you beat that boss, no sir. And the other thing is that each character has like a specialty kind of thing. So when you prepare your dishes, if you use like specific characters, you get like a special version of that dish mm. or you can even get like a second portion because like the character knows how to prepare it so it's less wasteful with the materials that was kind of neat that, that was very neat actually and it has like the same like collecting loop that bird of the wild has nice and the other oh i'm going back to cooking mama like that game was I need to play that game. Like it looks like a lot of fun. Oh, have you never played Cooking Mama? Oh, I, I never played it. I owe myself to, to play it. I and love Mama. <laughs> the game I played though is Overcooked. Mm, Overcooked, yes. Yeah, especially like the second one we were playing with my boyfriend, and we are a mess in that game. Like, I also like listened to my sister play like a couple of months ago at this point. She pretty much had to rage quit that game because of how <laughs> stressing playing with so many players was because she was playing with two other friends. Though I have to say that game is not for the pain of heart because like cooking on a timer in real life is already stressing the shit. Mm -hmm. Cooking on a timer on a video game is like, I don't have an onion, you have an onion, give me that fucking onion so I can make this dish, but then I have to throw you like that dish so you can like put it into the um, like conveyor belt thing at the end and pretty much I call it a day with you that. Know, it actually really does mimic, I think, quite beautifully the stress of cooking, honestly. Like, yes. <laughs> especially when you get to a level of cooking where you're pretty good at it and so you start to, you know, like you're planning a meal, right? So that everything comes out at the same time and so you're juggling multiple yes. things and then you're like, I forgot to fucking salt it! Like, in that moment, right? Where you're like, fuck! And like, it's that moment of where you're just going and shit's flying everywhere. Like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm a messy yeah. cooker sometimes. <laughs> and in particular, I, I have had the chance to participate like stuff where we're cooking stuff for a lot of people like big events but we actually had to prepare meals like for a kind of like restaurant kind of thing and being on the kitchen or being on the floor i think i'd rather be on the floor like serving the clients because the kitchen gets too chaotic <laughs> and on the other event we have by i guess like the meal was scheduled to start at a certain time for like groups of i don't know 50 plus people at a time Jesus you don't want dude. to serve 50 plus plates of food mm -hmm. 
you don't want to watch the dishes that come from those people. Uh -uh. So overcooking that sense really mimics how fucking stressful being at the kitchen is at those times. And at the same time, too, though, if you get into a flow, God, there's like fun. an adrenaline rush, right? Because like I worked in a restaurant, too. Yes. And like, man, when you have everything working just the way you need it and you're like banging out orders and you've got it going, there's such a like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know, it's that. It's that yeah. Like, yeah. Right. And same in Overcooked. When you get like a really good thing going, you're just like, we are the masters of cooking. <laughs> Yeah, and when everything is like over, when you pass that level, it's like that sense of relief that is like, yes, yeah. I can die now. You can die now. I did. I can be happy. So yeah, that that was like a lot of fun about Overcook. Um, we still have to like go back to the game because I don't think we went like too far like in the story or the map. You you could say but the cooking is not over. The cooking is not over. I'm a rig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about a, yeah, there you go. Took a second, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, the thinking. Nice. So yeah, like the other instances of food I've seen that it are like uh, less about the cooking and more about the aesthetics in bento. Mm, because you oh, make the little yeah. blanche books and they mean like because you're cooking like these, I guess like uh, this cat that is also a mom, the, the story takes you like from. I guess the early stage of of the kitten she's um, caring for until like the kitten grows older. So even like the puzzles get bigger and bigger, more complicated as time goes on because it complements the story really well in that sense. Yeah, the cooking contextualizes the puzzles. Yep, hmm. and that is beautiful. Ooh. And I'm trying to see if I have like a very like in depth kind of like cooking thing over here, but. I think nope. I was gonna say that actually brings, I think, to a nice moment if I can jump in for a second. Because <laughs> what I want to talk about, of course. when you look at Imbento too, Imbento tells the story, right? Of which I think is like at least particularly in like Canada, U.S., maybe too in the U.K. I don't know, in other parts of the world, but like in that game, it's very much the mom teaching um, the child how to cook, right? And so, like, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel as though, like, anyway, cooking in general is quite gendered, right? Like, who are the top chefs in the world? Dudes, right? But then who does the majority of cooking for sustenance in, like, households? It tends to be the women of the house, right? Like, that tends to be where it gets mm -hmm. done. But then that's often viewed as, like, you know, that's just cooking. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, that weird sort of thing. But I don't want to get into that yeah. right now. But There's yeah. playing and there's playing, yep. there's cooking and there's cooking. Yeah. Yeah, yep. right? Um, And so what I think is interesting is, like, for a long time, games with cooking were marketed or are like major like look at cooking mama we know who cooking mama is marketed say, yeah. towards yeah. right despite the fact that Mama's. it's a fucking awesome game yeah right like it's it's super <laughs> great. but we know that it's marketed and like they're trying to push it towards this thing of like oh it's for women to play which is like such a weird notion in general right and it caused a lot of problems oh, early right. on in the industry too because it would be seen if you like those games like there's um one of the articles i read was really interesting it's on eater and it's um it's from a collection of book called women on food and uh, one woman she did like a really interesting look at a huge deep dive into food and video games it's very very good and talks about how like at riot games there was we remember a lot a while back there was that thing where like they were viewing 
like women were often passed up for promotion because they would say like oh they're not core gamers enough like they're into casual games like uh, i don't know about in the past i mean the reporting's still ongoing on that it sounds like it's it is still yes like actually you know what maybe it's more current now even than uh, yeah. it was needed because at the time this was this article came out in 2019 so the fact that it was even talked about then and we know now it's a big problem um but um I don't know. I'm just that curious. sound you can hear is Paula looking for said article. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have a, you have a very clicky later. keyboard. Maybe some later. Yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot the people rest mechanic. That's okay. Food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even know necessarily where I go. With this. It's just like, um, wait, what did that call that article? The soft sexism of food and video games. Oh, that's not what the article is called. But anyway, it's called Miss Pac Man's Revenge, which I think is a great name <laughs> uh, for it, right? And. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting because it brings up this sort of discussion of like, why was it labeled that way? And there's a cultural influence on saying that like, oh, women should be doing cooking, which I do think is changing, right? And I th- I think, mm-hmm. like we talked about the introduction in things like Breath of Wild, the pure like um, intensity in Final Fantasy 15 of the food, like the developers went on road trips and tried to cook the food themselves and see what looked good and what tasted good. And that's how they decided if it was going to go in the game or not. Like they gave that is shit. such a good way of justifying holidays and company time. I right? love that. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And so like, and like I read an excellent thing on Monster Hunter World where they talked about how they're like, you know, and like they're talking about the way they did the food. And they're like, listen, so like, and like they're such nerds and I love it. And they're like, you know, with the food, it's like, you can't, um, it's like, you know, you can't taste it, right? So you can't rely on the senses. But like, we realized that like, oh, okay. So like, we actually have to like simplify and exaggerate portions of it. Like for instance, we need like steam coming off of it. So you feel the sensation or, or watches the fat drips off it. And like they're talking about the way that they, and like they're so into it. Like the way they visually extend the food to make it like aesthetically appeal to your palate so like i do think fortunately we're seeing a shift in in the ways that we view food and games and like i hope we're starting to break down these like gender kind of um constructions that we made and recognize that it's like no food is excellent because like the article's thrust is essentially we should have more food and games and i'm like i agree yep I agree. As do, and this is maybe a cheeky little segue, uh, the fine folk over at Vanillaware who have prominently featured food in their games for a long time. Mm. Um, we've all heard of the, the yakisoba pan and the, uh, <laughs> the Hamburg steaks. Which of I will say, the thing. yakisoba pan did look fantastic. Even if he said it too much, it did look great. Right. <laughs> Paula and I, I have been talking about Jackie prepping our own. fantastic too, so... Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> but, yeah, because so, I mean, I've made Jackie Silva, but I haven't like put it like in a piece of bread yet. Mm. But oh, I, I haven't even done that. I'm a yakisoba virgin. <laughs> <laughs> that felt really weird to say. I take that back. Yep. I don't want that out in the open. Oh my god. Oh. I don't know why. Thinking that did sound weird. Do you want to edit right. this episode? <laughs> because I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> if it's my turn. Yeah, Rick, you have to decide. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants the privileges for this one? Oh, Christ. You're right, anyway. though. Vanillaware has excellent looking food. They're like Ghibli levels of mm-hmm. food. And they've, they've been doing it as far back as Odyssey. But the interesting thing is they always try and make it look incredible. But they do it in very different ways. So... Um, I can't speak to Grim Grimoire because I haven't played that yet. In Odin Sphere, there was like um, a stat boosting, like a permanent stat boosting component to the food. So it's something that you do sort of between combat missions. Uh, then you go to Muramasa, uh, and it's more a case of um, like picking up the turkeys, the expendables type of thing. But the interesting thing with the food in Muramasa was um, you had like a belly meter. So um, there were potions which you could have that would fill up almost no belly. And there are dishes that would give you bigger health and like temporary stat boosts, but they would limit your ability to bump your health up and top it up later on in the fight. 
Um, so it was an extra sort of element for you to to weigh up in combat, but it also gave you an element as well of, of preparation between battles and, and another thing to think about within that game systems. And then in Dragon's Crown, which is a like a Golden Axe-esque sort of 2D beat-em-up sort of thing, they instead incorporate the food as a mini-game. And um, anyone who's listening, go and sort of Google Dragon's Crown food because the screen that that mini-game works on is mouthwateringly good. Nice. Um, and and you have like this mini game of throwing different stuff in the pot as a as a random mini game that pops up to to sort of replenish various stats of uh, of your characters when you're doing sort of some of the longer dungeon raids. And it, it it's just interesting that they implement it in different ways, but always with the mindset of this food should look fucking incredible and make you want to pause our game to go and get food. Yeah. And I just sort of <laughs> love that as an outlook. I think it's really cool. It also makes me think like you remind me a little bit. I do find it funny how food is often seen as like it, re- it increases your health, which like makes sense, but also like in Wasteland yeah, 3, Yeah, I mean, you, instance, can, you can see where that comes from. Yeah, in Wasteland 3, for instance, though, a Snickers bar increases your health, and I'm like, that's dubious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I like games sometimes where they'll take foods that are like, um, like sometimes Fallout games do this, other, some games do this uh, in general, where it's like the food is like, like they usually do it with booze, where it's like, oh, it'll increase this, but your perception will get fucked, right? And like you'll get shaky. Or like, <laughs> I would love to see Snickers. It's like you eat it and you're going to get like a combat speed boost or something. <laughs> but like, you're going to like, you're going to crash hard and like, 20 seconds and you'll have like a minus combat speed boost you know what i mean show me the sugar it should rushes. do like me- it should do like metal yeah. which just makes you comically fat <laughs> that'd be great oh my god but like i kind of oh, wish the- that would happen i guess that's more of the sims i can't believe we haven't talked about the Sims, but that's all other thing sorry paula <laughs> like another game that has kind of like food items that is um some of the pokemon games like mm. the third generation ones that is Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, and the remakes, and then the four uh, generation games that are Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. They have and the remakes these, like, coming. Yep, they have like these kind of like cubes or puffins that are meant to be like made by the player. Which, by the way, depending on how well you do, like in the blending mini games for the cube or the cooking mini mini games for the puffins, that is like the the, the actual quality of the food you're making. And mm. they do have like a permanent kind of like effect on the pokemon you, you you give them to because it affects the stats they have like for the pokemon contest like i don't know like if you say these kind of ingredients it will make your pokemon like for like look pretty super pretty or stuff like that and i kind of like like that that aspect of it or if you give it like this other kind of variety to your pokemon then it's claws are, are gonna be like tougher so that that i feel like that was like a cool way to use food and then pokemon x and y came in and they use like these little snacks to raise like the pokemon's affection along mm-hmm. with the meeting games they had and that's the way you get sealed in by the way the, the these little pocket cubes you give to your pokemon are the only way you can evolve uh what was the name Fee- like the ugly fish Pokemon in. I don't remember, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the the it, it starts with Fee. I'm pretty sure it starts with Fee. But take your word for it. <laughs> the. <laughs> but by the way, that stupid rare Pokemon. It only appears like in six tiles of a specific <laughs> area of the game, and the eight tiles reset each time you restart the game. Like like turn off the console and turn it back again. That was stupid. But you have to 
raised to the maximum, like the beauty value of the Pokemon, and it will evolve into Milotic, which was like mm. the prettiest Pokemon in that game, like for contest standards. And then you have the evolution food item that is like the tart apple and the sweet apple, because there's this one Pokemon that is a dragon grass type called Appling. It is a worm and an apple. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck, man, they ran out of ideas. It is a worm and an apple. <laughs> and depending on the... It, it is like a little dragon thing that lives in this um, apple. And depending the kind of apple you give it like to live in, it will evolve either on a flapple if you give it a tart apple, or in an appleton if you give it a sweet apple. Mm. The fact thing about appleton is that uh, it seems people used to eat like crust of the skin because it tasted like apple pie or something like that. Makes sense. It was really fucked. <laughs> um, but still. Um, I, I drove a pencil. I don't know where the fuck it went. Uh, so it's, I'm going to look it like later. It went into the pencil it's lost zone. forever. <laughs> and the other like places I've seen food like used like in other ways. One of which is a slime rancher. Because you actually have to eat to feed the slimes for them to give you plorts and sell the plorts and then you're rich. The thing is, each slime has like a, a preferred food item, like the fluorescent slimes will eat fruit, but if you give it like cute fruit, they produce like twice the plorts. And then you have the tabby slime, that is a slime with cat ears and a tail, and it is adorable. And it will eat only hen hens, because it is a carnivore, but you can give it like a... It is a stony hen hen, it looks like a, a chicken, but like with like stone pebbles on its feathers something like that and that will give you like double of the plurts as well but then you have the same tabby cat who can wreak havoc on your farm and pretty much steal a food item and leave it wherever and if a slime eats like a plurt from another slime it will become a largo and if it eats an, yet another plort, it will become a tar. A tar eats slimes. You don't want that. <laughs> and uh, wrapping things up a little bit because oh, yeah, sorry. We've been going for uh, this ages. has been like a long discussion. <laughs> you have the apple verse where the golden apple is a macaffin. If you eat the golden apple, you can go back to the world of the living. You have the overall like all the domains that i've seen have like very good looking food especially cafe enchante and finally i would be uh, i would like be like, kind of like disappointed if you don't recognize this quote you still can't see the rice you begin to suspect that your bowl is a portal to the mid dimension the amount of meat contained within this bowl is truly staggering in order to finish this bowl you must have the understanding of your limits Knowledge to control your pace, courage to face this unrelated tide of beef, and the diligence to persevere against this colossal challenge. All these traits as necessary to master the rainy day mega beautiful challenge. And that is Persona 4. Yeah, okay, good. I was like, that's Persona 4. At first, I was like, the fuck she talking about? And then I was like, then like some deep, deep part of me like unlocked my Vita memories of like Persona 4 and I was like, yes! <laughs> I love that I had game. way yes. too much of like an emphasis on beating that beef bowl in my campaign, I have to be honest. Yeah. It like, yeah. it <laughs> occupied way too much of my mind considering what else was going on in that game. Well, damn. Right? That is food and games. We talked about so much, I frankly think we could 
have talked longer about it too, but we've already got on for ages on this. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> there's a lot more to talk about with food, you know, like food. Yeah. It's more of a thing than you would imagine. So yeah, why don't we, I think we're going to skip our question again this week. Sorry. We just, there's no time. We're already here. <laughs> Yep. So here's the thing. I I am still thoroughly confused as to who's editing this episode, which means I've someone... taken the liberty without accepting any responsibility of this week's edit. I've taken the liberty of picking the the randomizer. All and right. I can tell you that I can tell you that this week <laughs> it is Dark Chronicle, aka Dark Cloud Two, for the PlayStation Two. Dark Chronicle. Dark. Dark what? Dark Chronicle. Dark Chronicle. Is that the one with the little uh? Or... Oh, it's yeah, the one yeah, with yeah, the yeah. with the woman with the pigtails and the guy with the with the uh, wrench. Yeah, because that's cover. that one. Um, it's a level five game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct, Mundo. Yeah, I think it's a sequel to Dark Cloud. No, no, no. It's a sequel. Question mark. Oh, wait. Dark it's a sequel Chronicle, to Dark Chronicle. I see. Okay, I see a guy with a wrench and a girl. There's two of them with red hair and a sword. Right, right, right. But it, it this game is Dark Chronicle, aka Dark Cloud Two. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, okay. So I, called... I think it's that way around. Yeah. We can't even agree on the name. How on earth are we going to get the time? Is Did it have different names in different areas? Oh, it must have. I fucked if I know. Huh. Okay, because oh, yeah. I have if Dark Cloud on my PS4. I think I have Dark Cloud 2 as well. Um, Ooh. A spiritual seizure. Oh, yeah. It, it, was called, it was called Dark Cloud 2 here in North America. Right. Ooh. It was called Dark Chronicle in Japan and in Europe. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even notice Dark Cloud, so I just knew it was Dark Cloud and Dark Chronicle. Well, isn't that interesting? Ain't that interesting? I've heard that uh, it is. I retired the first one, but I heard that. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, well, just because I never, I never actually played it. I just had it and was like, it's never happening. Um, but I hear it's interesting. It's got like weird, like building mechanics in it as well, and um, whatnot. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not very confident because I know that this is a big one. Um, the hustle is on, folks. Yeah, it's hustle time. Yeah, weirdly enough, it was Dark Chronicle 2 in North America and South Korea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why yeah. only there? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> North America and Best Korea. Best Korea, yes. <laughs> Let's see here. Let's see here. Um, yeah. People really like this game, I remember. Oh, there's uh, a PlayStation 4 version of this. It was ported. It's not an actual... It's the one you can buy on the PSN that's basically a, a, an emulation. Yeah, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a remaster of any sense no, of the word. God, no, that that would require effort. That would require effort. That's great. We both know exactly what's going on with this. We're like, yeah, there's no fucking way that's happening. Um, okay, well, uh, I don't know. I'm going to... I'm going to say... I think it's somewhere like I'm gonna put like I'm gonna say like 35 for main I think um 43 for main plus uh, that's 34 43 for main plus yeah. and like fuck I hate this so much um <laughs> I, I feel know, like this 50 is for like a very long name percent okay I'm gonna say do I want to say 30 for main maybe that's under academy yeah, I don't know. Like, it's hard to because like the was the first one a PlayStation Two or was it a PlayStation One game? It was a very early PlayStation Two game. They're both PlayStation Two games. Gotcha, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like oh one. Oh yeah, the first one know. was two thousand. Um, oh, it was two thousand. Yeah, oh, in Japan. Damn. In Japan, yeah. 
Right, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think the PlayStation was even out. Or yeah, it was 2001 in, 2000 in Europe. America. Yeah. Right, okay, that uh, tracks. And then the other one, this game that we're, we're talking about here, Dark Cloud 2, Dark Chronicle, was uh, 2002 in Japan. Wow, okay, that was a short turnaround. 2003 in North America, just a few years later. Crikey. Damn. Okay, so I am going to break convention and I'm going to swing for the fences. So because when you when you go for a main and a main plus, you get a three-hour buffer either way. Mm-hmm. I am going 52 and a half for main. And I'm going 72 and a half for main plus. I don't dare for this game. I do not know enough about it to go for the 100%, but that is what I'm going with. Uh, that makes me okay. uncomfortable. Um... You're always uncomfortable. Yeah. You can't prices right me every week, Alex. I won't prices right you this week, but I will... I'm I'm gonna shoot for the fences. I'm gonna go all out. Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to guess the 100. percent And you're making me nervous, so I'm gonna change my scores. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna fail, but I'm gonna try. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say 50. Uh huh. I'm gonna say I don't feel like it's 72. I'm gonna say 67. 67. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's I'm gonna say sixty seven. And I'm gonna go gangbusters and I'm gonna say hundred and thirty five hours. That's how much. Big boy hours. I mean yeah. you basically prices righted me on two, on the two that I Yeah, did. I did. But I, that's why I feel bad. I'm yeah, like, you, you know did. what? I'm you gonna did. I'm gonna go for hundred yeah, percent. So I'm gonna see if I can go better on there. Power, okay. are you gonna change it up? <laughs> I'm still trying things up because I feel like it is a long game, but maybe not hundred and thirty hours long. I'm gonna say well, I think uh, 40 <laughs> hours main, 55 hours main plus. Maybe it should have changed like to 58 hours main plus, and 100 percent 95. I think that's no, maybe like 60 hours. Because this game has procedurally generated 62 dungeons. hours. That's where I'm thinking this game probably has like a fuck ton of time on it. Oh, I see. But what if I swing too high for the? 100%. That's the thing that's worrying me. Okay, I'll do 67 and a half hours. I'm gonna say it. Just, 105. Just, just, just. I'm 105. I can't be judged. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so Rick is at 15. What if I go 155? No, that, that would be too okay. much. Oh. No, 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 no. 105, maybe. Okay, let's go with it. All right, so Rick has Rick? main, 52 and a half. Main plus, 72 and a half. I have 50 hours for main, 67 hours and 30 minutes for main plus, 135 hours for 100%. Paola has 40 hours, 62 hours, and 105 hours. Let's see. Oh, and poorly. I mean, even if you'd overshot, it wouldn't have happened for you. So I think you might have squeaked in, Alex. Let's have a look. So main story, I'm juggling, between, I'm juggling between two tabs. So um, main story, 51 and a half hours. Shit. Which, um, in fact, Alex, if you just tell me where we're all at on that, I'm pretty certain Paolo's blown it. Um, <laughs> okay, so wait, so what was the main? <laughs> so main is 51 and a half hours. Okay, you, me are in, but Paolo's off, yeah. Main plus is 71 and a half hours. You've got it. Oh. Okay. Come on. Completionist is 137 hours. Are you yeah. <laughs> so what, what needs what needs to happen now is we need to have a rule where you can't just copy my time and blag points. This is not okay. Yes. You you've like what's the story? Is it the scorpion and the frog? You piggybacked me into level begging. This is unacceptable. 
Un- <laughs> What's that lemon man from Adventure Time? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah, but you know, I could have lost it all. That's the thing. I gambled, bruh. I gambled on that 100. Yeah. You gambled You gambled on one and you, you stole on two. And my, I'm, I'm you know very my, salty about you know what, it. Honestly, you know what my theory was? <laughs> This is this is what went through my head. When you put the 72 and a half hours, I was like, I bet you it's around double that for the 100 because I was like, I was like, it's probably around there. So I was just like, let's try and see if it works. <sighs> Rick is very uh, upset right now. <laughs> I'm I'm going to go and lick my wounds is what I'm going to do. How did you yeah, how did you know so well? That's great. You play this game. I before? I figured 50 to 55, 70 to 75. Yeah. Exactly. Which is uh, it's the only it's the only time I've ever used the half hours, and mm-hmm. given how it's gone for me in in context, it's probably the only time I ever will, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a two point negative swing, basically. <sighs> nice. Alrighty. Well, looks like this week um, has had a record moment for us, where Rick and Alex are now tied at eighty seven points. Looks like that switch OLED. Might not be in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's happening. Now that you've got a sniff at it, it's happening. Yeah, it? exactly. No, Are you kidding me? This as if rubbish. that happened. <laughs> this rubbish. It's still 100 And Paul is also playing. <laughs> I know. And Paul is here what? at 75. Uh, <laughs> Paul's not that far behind, though, really. Paul's only 12 points behind. That's like three episodes potential. There, you never know. Yeah. Uh, it's mm-hmm. closer than she was a few episodes ago, in fairness. All right. So, true, true. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more adventures with us all. Take it easy. Bye. I'm really upset. <laughs> <laughs>